Hey everyone, welcome to the Threadcast. It's Ryan Smith here, pastor at Common Thread Church. Hope that you had a great uh, weekend. Fourth uh, of July here in the United States, UK, normal weekend for you guys. Hope that you still enjoyed it. Uh, we just got back from our trip to the lake, and so um, I tried to get this recorded beforehand, but it didn't work out. And so I'm doing this post-trip, um, so if it's not con- completely cognizant, then please give me some grace there. But uh, but we had a good trip. We had we spent time at the lake with my mom and dad and brother and his kids, and so it was a good time. I want to share uh, a little story before we jump into um, our campfire story, which we're in um, Hebrews eleven seven, the story of Noah. If you haven't been paying attention um, or been around for what we're doing this summer, um, we are in Hebrews chapter 11 and walking through different stories um, there that we find about faith and uh, people that we consider heroes of faith and just kind of looking at their story and figuring out what is it about them? Because they're not or, they're not extraordinary people, right? That we find out they're ordinary, that are very flawed people. Um, but there's something about their faith that sticks out to us, and so we're challenging ourselves in that as well. And so uh, we're in a Noah, the story of Noah today. Um, we find that in Genesis six. We also find it uh, there in Hebrews eleven verse seven. Um, so we'll look at that here in a minute. But before we get into that, I want to share with you. Um, I went to college. Um, I knew I wanted to be in ministry. I knew I was wanting to be in youth ministry. So I went off to college and uh, did my freshman year. And then the summer of my freshman year, I went to do an internship at a church in Kansas. And they there was not a youth minister at the camp at the church. But as a matter of fact, in all of the state of Kansas, I was one of two youth ministers in um, the Church of Christ Heritage there. And the other one was four hours away. So I was on my own that summer. And I moved houses, people I lived with every week, and I was alone. I didn't know anybody else up there. And I'll tell you, that summer, um, it burnt me out. I was exhausted. I was tired. And I even questioned whether I wanted to get into ministry after that summer. And so my sophomore year, I went into college. I kept my my major in youth ministry, but... um, was really just going through the motions in my sophomore year, the summer of my sophomore year, I decided, you know, I didn't want to do another internship. And so I just went back home and my uncle got me a construction job. And, um, and that's all I knew is that I was going to do construction and I was going to work for this company. It wasn't my uncle's company, but it's somebody he knew. And so they were getting me with this company that does sheetrock and, um, they do stucco. And the first day I drive out to, uh, to the job site, you know, get out there and they put me with two guys that were doing sheetrock. And, you know, these guys are, you know, I get out there and and it's crazy. You know, it's my first, um, not my first job. That's not true at all, but it's, you know, in the construction world, it's my first job. And, and the guys I was with was just as salty construction guys as you can imagine. Get there in the morning, they're cussing up a storm. I'm hanging out with them. You know, they go to take breaks. They say, we're going to take a smoke break. And they definitely come back smelling like pot. <laughs> and then it's lunch break. And uh, they say, hey, you want to go to lunch with us? And they're like, we're going to Hooters. And I was like, oh, you know. And, and so I, I grew up pretty pretty sheltered for the most part. Um, and so, you know, this was quite the ordeal. Um, and so I worked with them a couple of weeks. Um, and then I also, then they put me on a stucco crew, which was me 
and 16 uh, Mexican guys um, that were super nice, but spoke maybe two of them spoke English, the rest of them didn't. And so I was spent the rest of the summer um, working with them. And so that whole summer was this this um, eye-opening summer for me where I was surrounded by people um, that, that I knew nothing about. <laughs> Uh, that I was, um, some of them had different morals than me, um, but I loved working with uh, the Hispanic guys. Um, they were hilarious. We ended up having a good time, but it was still, um, you know, being the only one that really spoke English. It was a weird deal. It was, it was really, it was really strange. And, and it was this idea of being alone, right? Even though you're surrounded by people, you're, you're alone. And that's kind of the story of Noah that we want to focus on today. I know we've all heard the story of Noah. We've heard the story of the ark. Um, and that's an incredible thing. But I want to kind of have our our threadcast look at the beginning and kind of the, the underbelly of the story of Noah, not necessarily the ark part of it. Um, because cause Noah was, the, he knew what it meant to be isolated. He knew what it meant to be culturally isolated because um, he, was, he was unique in his culture. He was a bright star. He shined brightly because of how different... He was, uh, and I want us to kind of see that. So, uh, this is kind of um, this is in six verse five through nine. It reads, "The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that the very inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time." You know, I know a lot of us think that that the world's coming in because of how bad it is, but I really doubt um, that we've gotten to this point, right? Um, it goes on in verse 6, The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. And this is the part, I'll be honest with you, this is this part of scripture I don't grasp. Um, I think there's more to it than just the literal understanding of what's going on here, um, because I, I just can't put my arm, my, my arms, my, my arms, my head, my feet, whatever it is, around getting to this point. What this is like, why, how God, um, how it gets here, um, but it does, and this is what the earth looks like. Um, but then. Uh, in verse 8, we see this. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Um, I want I to I go ahead and read verse 9. I was, I was trying to decide if I wanted to or not. But it says, This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless uh, among the people of his time. He walked faithfully with God. And so... Uh, we 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 get in this this point in time that the culture um, is is beyond redemption according to God according to the scripture that that there is nothing worth saving right um, that there is so much going on here and, and you can look as to see you know the the descendants of Seth um, you can see the descendants of, of Cain um, and how we could have maybe gotten to this point. Um, but also, I think the other thing that's going on is is a concept of spiritual warfare that we can't grasp. Um, and I want to I, I, I debated whether I wanted to read this to you, not because I didn't want you to know it or because you didn't know it, but I honestly don't have the answer to it as well. You know, I, I don't have a lot of answers here in this 
this first part of Genesis is stuff I'm just I'm still wrestling with myself. But I want to kind of throw it out to you. I, I think this is a description of some type of spiritual warfare going on. Um, but it says when human beings this this is the beginning of six. This is before we just read. So when human beings began to increase in number on the earth. And the daughters were born to them. So we get we get that daughters were born to human beings. But then it says the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married, uh, and they married any of them they chose. Um, and the sons of God here, some people have talked about whether these were angels, um, and there's a lot of speculation as to what is what, what is not. Um, But then it goes on, it says, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. And I think what this is, I think um, before this time, is that whatever spiritual warfare is going on, that human beings have began a quest for immortality. That that they've seen that they can live um, multiple, multiple years. They're equating themselves to God. And I think God is like, no, 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 no. He's putting them in their place. And so whatever um, spiritual warfare is going on here, um, this happens. But then the Nephilim were on earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. And there is tons of debate on who these guys are, or girls, whoever they are. and whatever translation you want to take and however you want to interpret those, I think the one thing we can grasp out of all this is that the world is evil, um, that the world um, is, is according to God, beyond redemption. Um, it's, it's, it's intensive, right? There's so much going on, but yet Noah finds favor, right? Um, and why does he find favor? The, you know, the three things we see about him is that Noah is righteous. It says that he's blameless in his generation and that he walked with God, right? And so there's this concept of rightness, righteous, and we've, we've talked about that before. It's just the concept of being right. Uh, and he's blameless in his generation and just this idea that that he stands out, right? That, that with everyone else around him, he is different um, compared to the rest of everybody else. It doesn't mean he's perfect, right? But it says he's blameless in his generation. So compared to the ones around him, um, he is unique. And I think it has to do with that concept of righteous, right? That, that, that idea of being right in God's eyes. And then I think this other part is, is, is kind of why it all goes together is that he walked with God. Remember, we talked about how Abel and, or Enoch walked with God and how um, Adam walked with God. Here we have another instance of what it is to walk with God. And I think that has to play with the concept of righteous, right? Sorry, I had to have a drink there. Um, but with all this going on, and we're going to recognize, you know, that Noah is not singularly alone, right? We, we recognize that something has to do with his family, you know, his kids, his boys, and their their wives and, and his wife. You know, we, we understand that, that he has family, but with everybody else around, He's isolated. There's no church for him to go to. There's no group to hang out with. There's no pastor for him to console. You know, there's no mentor for him to have. He is it. And how lonely must have that have felt, right? To see everything as bad as it was and for him not to feel the same way as everybody else. To feel that you're alone. And in that one statement that Noah found favor, 
we recognize that God sees him. That in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the insanity, he is still seen. And I think that's powerful, right? Um, you know, it's kind of a question for us. This idea is that I don't know what situation you find yourself in or how alone you find yourself at times or how you feel like you're just spinning your, your wheels. And sometimes we, we even verbally ask, God, are you out there? That in this moment we get we get an example of recognizing or seeing that God sees us. So that's just something to, to wrestle with yourself out of this story. That, that that God sees us even though it feels like He doesn't at times. So God has an incredibly horrific world going on right now. He has a plan. And Noah is the center of the plan, right? Um, and he wants Noah to build an ark. Um, first thing to think about is how qualified was Noah in building an ark? You know, we don't know. There's nothing in the script that tells us whether he had built things before, whether he was a leader, whether he had any um, skills with a hammer, any of that kind of stuff. You know, it, it doesn't matter when God's got a plan, right? Um, and can you imagine what that must have been like? You know, first off, for him... One day he's out walking with God like he normally did, right? Um, and then um, God says, hey, I'm going to destroy the world with a flood. And Noah's like, uh, what's a flood? Well, you know, these waters are going to be blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, and you're going to build a boat. Okay. You're going to build a boat, big boat. <laughs> okay. Who, who Who's going to help me build this thing? Um you know your boys and your wife and their wives? That's it. <laughs> so imagine imagine hearing that conversation, right? Or being a part of that conversation. But then I think what's even more ridiculous is, you know, that evening, uh, he the dinner's set, right? Mrs. Noah has made the meal. They're sitting around the table. Maybe the boys have their own place. You know, maybe they're living in the same place. I don't know, buddy. I'm sure he invites them over. And he's like, okay, guys, um, I need you to hear something. God, uh, the guy I go walking with, you know, the, the, the thing that's out there, you know, I go walking with uh, in the evenings. Uh, he told me tonight uh, he's going to destroy the world with a flood. And like, what's a flood? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> you know, uh, but then to go on to say, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is, this is, this is, can you imagine how crazy this was? Um, but in Hebrews eleven seven, we get that Noah does it, right? In 11.7 it says this, By faith, Noah, when warned about things yet not seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is key, that is in keeping with faith. And so we get that, that he builds the ark, but it's this concept that he builds the ark because of faith, not because of qualifications, not because of skill, not because of anything else, but is this concept of faith. Um, and there's this other thing of holy fear built in ark, and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But um, I want you to think about this. How crazy is this story, right? And and I know there's debate about there, you know, um, whether this was a, a literal story. 
um, whether this really happened. And we, but we know that uh, every culture out there, right, every history has a, a flood story, you know, um, so you can wrestle with that how you like. But what an unusual request by God. Of all the things that God could do. I mean, God could do incredible things in destroying the earth. You know, he could have done the Thanos thing, snapped his fingers. He could have done whatever he wanted. Um, but to choose the water, and as we'll read later on in Scripture, we'll find out there is purpose in this 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 metaphor of water and the ark. Um, hint, hint, baptism, some things like that going on. Um, being cleansed. You know, there's some things like that going on. Right? But how crazy is this that he asked God to do it but then how impossible does this seem right to build what he is but as we as we know Noah builds it and I want us to spend time thinking about that concept of of a Noah who Noah was to to be seen by God first how what it meant for him to walk with him but then also what it was like for Noah to build this because there's three things about this task um, that I think that are important for us to grasp in wrestling with this faith, right? Is that first, when Noah builds the ark, it's a sacred task. You know, um, this is where that, that, that concept, we go back to the passage, you know, in holy fear, he built the ark. I want to suggest that that fear, that that holy fear, is a reference to in in the day in day out of Noah building it, was Noah's act of worship. That this was a way for for God and Noah to continue walking together for him. That in him doing day in day out these these this crazy task, that he did it day in day out because it was worship. Like he didn't stop. You know every. 30 minutes and stop and pray or, you know, you know, his, you know, one of his sons didn't break out the guitar and they started having this kumbaya moment. But I think in the, in the beating of the, the hammer or in the, the laying of the pitch or whatever it might've been or, or cutting the wood or whatever that was going on that in those moments, he was doing it as worship. And as we've talked about common thread, that worship is not just singing, not just praying, but that our lives are living acts of worship. And this building an ark, this crazy, impossible task um, became sacred. That our work can become sacred. That we can do things out of reverent fear. And again, we could spend a whole lot of time about that concept of fear. In fact, and if that word fear is, is uh, making you kind of um, pause for a moment, um, let, let me know. Let's talk about that later on. We don't have time today. So one, it was a sacred task. But two, it was an enormous task, right? Um, you know, the idea is that if if we were, you know, for our U.S. people, this is feet. You know, it would have probably been 450 feet by 75 feet by 45 feet, right? This would have been half the length of the Titanic. Um, it would have been basically this huge barge that had no rudder, um, any of that kind of stuff. It was just this big barge that they were building um they say that the capacity of this this ship would have been 150,000 cubic feet and so it's they they estimate that there's you know di- different historians different theologians debate on whether uh, at this would have minimally taken at least 80 years 
and possibly taking up to 120 years. But either it was 80 or 120, you know, what's 40 years now, you know, once you're doing something like this. Imagine day in, day out, looking, waking up, looking at the blueprints, probably laughing, and then crying because you still had to keep doing this. But day in, day out, building this beast of a box, right? The stamina that that would have taken is unimaginable. You know, no one today can grasp what it means to work at something for 80 to 110 years, day in, day out, with the same small group of people. But this is what God asked Noah to do. And I think that's important in us as when we wrestle with our faith and our lives and our our existence here on earth is to recognize that the tasks that God asks us to do, <laughs> they, don't, they don't equal building an ark, right? Uh, sometimes we feel like they're just too big, that God wouldn't ask me to do this thing. But then when we see Noah, we're like, mm, mm, maybe, maybe he would. And finally, the last thing I want to point out about this ark business is how lonely this task was. You know, this again, this isn't a way to sell, you know, memberships into it and say, hey, I'm going to ask you to do this horrific, big, enormous, great thing, and it's going to be super lonely, right? You know, that's not how you sell things. But this this is what's going on. In that 80 to 110 years, like we talked about earlier, Noah doesn't have a church. He doesn't have a group. He has his family, and that's it. And he did it day in and day out. And, you know, if you've seen movies on this, you can imagine, you know, his neighbors, you know, as evil, as vile as they were, they come up and say, what are you doing? You know, why do you need all this wood? Why do you, what, what is this big box you're building? Oh, I'm building a boat, you know. And you, you can't help but imagine, it's not in scripture, um, but you, help, you have to ask, they're going to say, why are you building this boat? And in, in, if you go and look at Second Peter 2, 5, you just get a quick glimpse that that it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So we have to just kind of assume that in that 80 to 110 years that he told them why he was building it. He said, hey, God told me because you guys have messed things up. You know, things are so screwed up. I'm building this boat because the world is going to be destroyed. And for 80 to 110 years... He was probably ridiculed. He was probably laughed at. And more importantly, not one conversion. You know, as a preacher, as a pastor, to know that I've been asked to do something by God, to preach and teach and to act in a certain way, and I'm supposed to be a fisher of men, but no one, no one, no one jumps on the team. Not even when I'm close to finishing the thing, no one jumps on. The solitude again, the loneliness of what is going on. Um, we have to wrestle with that. We have to we have to see this. But what we recognize is that the ark is built. And the ark is built in faith. And the ark is built in faith that is unique to everyone 
around him, that, that he is called to do something that no one else can grasp, no one else can understand, that I would say that he doesn't even understand, but he lives in a way when everybody else is telling him to do something differently. And so, the challenge for us in the story of Noah and in the quest of faith and understanding faith is the challenge for us is that we are to live in culture, right? We are to live, you know, God doesn't take Noah out of that, that, that evilness. He still asks him to do the craziness inside of that evilness, to live in that culture without compromise, now, I'm going to have to say that when, I, when we talk about without compromise, it doesn't mean that you don't question, right? It doesn't mean that there's days that you wake up and he's like, I, I guarantee there's days he woke up and was like, I'm not doing it. I refuse. I'm done. You know, <laughs> call it a day. Call it, uh, there's put a fork in me, whatever it is. This is ridiculous. God, why are you having me? I don't even live close to water. I mean, there's, what is this flood thing? You know, I mean, all the questions, right? You know, this past Sunday, it was incredible. Oh, man, we were at the lake, but uh, hearing uh, Mary... And Tom share their their wrestling with what it means to be uh, to to live in culture without compromise, and to hear words like they were scared, that they had tremors, that they questioned themselves. Right? I mean, these are things that Noah faced, and this is what it means to have faith that those things exist, but yet we keep on walking the path that God has laid before us. Man, I'd like to give you something to say, oh, well, here's how it gets easier. But all that the Hebrews 11 writer gives us is that Noah was a person of faith because he built the ark. And building the ark doesn't happen overnight. And building an ark and having faith is not easy. And sometimes it's ridiculous, and sometimes it's enormous, and sometimes it seems impossible, and sometimes it is lonely. But we're called to live in a way that makes us unique to the culture around us. So there you go. Um, Seems kind of a little depressing, doesn't it? (laughs) I'd like to put a positive spin on this, but this is... This is, I think this is something we wrestle with, this idea that we sit in the ugliness of faith. <laughs> that sometimes faith is not rainbows and roses and, and everything is perfect and you, you're blessed with, with millions of dollars to do whatever you like and, and that people are going to always, whenever you preach Jesus, that they're going to always give their lives up to Him, right? That sometimes following God is a lifelong, arduous task. But there is this call to be unique, to be different from our generation. And that's what our faith is called to be like. That's what we wrestle with. And so we've had questions as we ended each kind of segment to the story. And so the first question, when we looked at creation in Hebrews 11, 1 through 2, we were asked, is your view of God large enough, right? That, that when we begin with faith, we begin with the concept of who God is. And is our understanding of God, is, is he big enough? Or have we put him in that little box, right? And then with Abel, we, we wrestle with the question, is, is my faith in God strong enough? 
And then through Enoch, we get the question of, is my faith in God steady enough? And then finally, with Noah, we get the question, is your faith in God distinct enough? Is your life different from the rest of the world? And I want to suggest something to you. I wasn't planning on saying this, but I want to kind of close with this. I think here in the States, and I think the UK, you probably guys would agree, I think our culture, our church culture, is coming out of COVID where we've been had to stay in our homes and stay isolated for so long. Our th- I think our culture is now wrestling with the questions, you know what? When I was a part of church and I was going every Sunday and Wednesday night and doing the things and going to all these programs, my life wasn't any different from those who didn't do it, right? That there wasn't a distinct factor. And so a lot of them are choosing not to go back. And I would suggest that maybe those are some good questions. I would say that that's probably some good things to wrestle with. But but I don't think the answer is that because I wasn't distinct that I'm just going to go do what the rest of the world is doing is the right answer, right? I think maybe it's maybe I look deeper. Maybe there's something more to this church, to this faith thing than I have been living out. Maybe my understanding of God isn't big enough. Maybe I haven't been choosing to walk with him like Noah, like Enoch, right? What does that mean for me? And so um, that's that's the hard wrestle with it is what, what does it look like to have faith that's different than culture? You know, does it mean that I go, go and stand out on a corner with a bullhorn and tell everybody they're condemned to hell? I mean, that's different, right? But I don't think that's it either. <laughs> I don't think that's it either. I think there's something beautiful in the message of what Jesus brings to us about living a life of love, of living a life of sacrifice, living a life of grace that makes us so unique that the world will change, not because of a flood, but because of that unconditional love. So something to think about. Love to hear your thoughts on this as well. Hope you have a great day. Grace and peace.